in the middle of these words from the book of Jeremiah that we read this morning. Jeremiah's call to be a prophet. Jeremiah discovered something amazing about God. He discovered that God knew who he was. Now, you know, we live in a world that can be so impersonal nowadays. Uh, it's hard to even think of God remembering us or caring about us or knowing us. You know, you can shop, do your banking, go to school, do your work in front of a computer screen without ever having to even speak to another person. Uh, for example, one of our daughters who uh, lived with us in Marshall uh, worked for a Canadian company that had an office in Tyler, Texas. And uh, she went to Tyler once a week for an office meeting. But apart from that, she worked in her office in her bedroom there in our parsonage there in Marshall. She could literally get up out of bed and walk about five feet to work in her pajamas. I mean, it was just amazing. And Joe Beth, you're just about in the same situation now, aren't you? I mean, uh, you're just, you're working at home. It's just amazing. You know, many of us nowadays hardly know our neighbors because we live in these digital electronic cocoons that we call our homes. You know, used to, windows were open. People sat on front porches. When I was a little boy in Cleveland, we'd walk to the store and we'd visit with the neighbors all the way up and down on both sides of the street because they were sitting out on their front porch. And uh, But nowadays, we live in such a time where windows are closed, doors are locked, and garage door openers uh, are in use so we can go in and out of our homes like Batman going in and out of the bat cave and just have no contact with the world right around us, can we? Living in this environment can, let's face it, make it difficult to imagine that there's a God who truly knows who we are and who knows us on an intimate level. And our scripture reading points out three things about you and your relationship with God that I want to go through with you this morning. First of all, before you were born, God knew you. You know, I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, when I was just kind of learning what it was like to be alive, you know, and to start putting things together. I sometimes used to wonder where I was before I was here because uh, I had this sense that I'd been around a lot longer than I'd been here on earth. I just had this sense of having been somewhere good before. And I couldn't put my, it was like it was just outside my memory. And I used to think if I could just remember, where was I? And I'd ask my mom about it. And she'd say, where'd I come from? And she said, well, you came from mommy's tummy. I said, no, 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 no. I mean, before that, 
And then she'd get kind of distressed and she'd pull out these pamphlets about the birds and the bees. And uh, anyway, she didn't want to uh, talk to me about where I came from before that. But that's not what I was talking about. I wasn't talking about how I got to be here physically. I was talking about before I got to be here physically. I was talking on a spiritual, existential level that somehow I knew I had existed before I showed up here on the face of the earth. I, I knew that somewhere, somewhere I had been. And it was like just outside of my memory. You know, I think a lot of people must have had that feeling and, uh, and thought about that because I think that's how reincarnation ever got in vogue, you know, because we have this sense of having existed before this current existence. Well, like I said, somehow I knew where I was was good. And then here, lo and behold, in Jeremiah 1.5, I found out where I was before. Before I was ever formed in the womb, God knew me. And uh, if I wasn't around, if I didn't exist, he couldn't know me. Somehow, I came into existence before I ever showed up here. And somehow, <clears throat> you were in the heart of God long before you ever showed up here. Ecclesiastes pretty well sums it all up. It said, uh, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. <coughs> now, <coughs> just think about this for a second. Before you were born, God knew you. Not even your parents can say that. Yeah, I remember how excited Sharon and I were before each one of our kids were born. We couldn't wait to see what they looked like. Knew they were going to have different personalities. Look forward to getting to meet these new little people that the Lord was going to be entrusting to us. <coughs> Uh, but uh, we couldn't wait to see what they're going to be like. And the, but the Bible says that before we were ever born, God knew us. And the word knew carries a connotation of relationship and approval. In other words, God had a stamp on Jeremiah's life. God uh, specifically knew Jeremiah. Now, obviously, God was speaking to Jeremiah here. So you may think, well, yeah, God knew Jeremiah, but he doesn't know you. But, you know, this is a recurring theme throughout Scripture uh, that God made us. We read in Psalm 139 this morning, it says, uh, for you created my innermost being. You knit together in my mother's womb. Uh, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But that's talking about our physical coming into existence. He knew us at that point. 
but he knew us long before that. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And where it says in advance for us to do, sometimes that can be translated as not sometimes. It can just as easily be translated uh, before the beginning of time. Before the world began, he knew you and he had prepared you for good works. He's known you a long time. He created you. And do you know what? The big deal is if God knows you, that means he knows what you're going through in life. It means you're not alone and you haven't been forgotten. You know, being forgotten can be a pretty upsetting thing, can't it? Uh, I, let me tell you a story here. I ran across this the other day. There's a married couple that stopped for gas in Montgomery, Alabama. And after the husband finished pumping gas, he got in his car and continued on his journey. Five hours later, he realized he'd forgotten something back at the gas station. His wife. So at the next town, he stopped at the police station. I don't know why he stopped at the police station. Uh, and he got in touch with his wife. And maybe he was wanting protection. I don't know. But uh, he got in touch with his wife and tried to explain to her what had happened. Eventually, he had to tell her that for five hours, he just didn't realize she was not in the car with him. I have no idea what happened to that man. <laughs> My goodness. Now, you know, this is such a far-fetched story that I, I, I really didn't believe it. And so I did some research and I have discovered that this is a, a, a common malady, that uh, this has happened throughout the world that men leave their wives at gas stations. Uh, and Argen, here's a, this is from the Daily Mail, a British newspaper. An Argentinian tourist forgot, quote unquote, his wife at a petrol station and drove 60 miles before realizing she was missing, according to the media reports in Brazil. The couple was returning to Argentina after a holiday in Babinas, uh, in Brazil's state of Santa Catarina. The husband, only identified as Walter, and Walter is now world famous, uh, stopped at a, at a station in Paso Fundo to refuel uh, the car and go to the toilet. Walter's 40-year-old wife, Inez, who had been sleeping in the back of the car, went into the shop to buy some cookies. When she returned to the parking lot, her family was gone. Her husband had apparently driven off after filling up the car. The couple's 14-year-old son, who was playing on his mobile phone in the front seat, also did not see that his mother was missing. The woman started crying nonstop and approached the petrol station's manager, Edgar Francisco Marquez, to seek for help. She was panicking. She said her husband had left her at the station. He said, I thought it was a joke and that the man had just gone for a walk and would return soon. But then I realized she was not joking. 
We had to calm her down and give her water. She would not stop moaning. With the help of the employees at the petrol station, the distressed woman, who had no documents and no money, tried to call her husband but could not connect due to a lack of coverage. At that point, the employees contacted local police. I always get the police involved in these things. It's amazing. Uh, contacted local police who took her to a police station. When the absent-minded husband eventually returned two hours later, the upset woman started punching and kicking his car. There was no physical assault, but she was more upset when I saw the husband, the police officer said. Okay, it happened again. I'm not going to give you the whole story. In a couple of times in Europe where, uh, let's see, a couple returning from honey, their honeymoon uh, of, from Paris. They've been honeymooning in uh, Paris and uh, they were on their way back home to Germany and uh, stopped and guy got back in the car and uh, he drove for three hours, I think it was, before he realized that his brand, no, no, he drove for one hour before he realized that his new bride was not in the car with him. She'd been sleeping and he was just going to let her sleep. Well, they said they did say that whenever he returned, that uh, she was still there at the station and that she was very patient uh, and very kind. So maybe that marriage lasted. Who knows? But anyway, it's a common thing for women to be left at service stations. I didn't know that. So, uh, but the thing is, I need to do research now to see if women ever leave their husbands anywhere, you know? But uh, the thing is, we can tell from the one woman's uh, reaction, she was not happy about being forgotten. And none of us are happy about being forgotten. It hurts us whenever we feel that someone that we love and someone that we thought loved us forgets us. But you see, God will never forget us. He's not going to do that. You know, we think he's either uh not going to know us because he's already got so much on his mind or that he'll forget us, but he doesn't forget. He always knows what's going on and knowing that God knows us should give us confidence in life. The same message uh, is for us as well. It's not just for Jeremiah in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, the fifth through the sixth verses. It says, God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Folks, if God knows you, he's going to take care of you. But let's be clear. He doesn't just know you. He loves you. He loves the real you. He created you to be you. And I wish, I wish I could get this across to people. So many people go through their lives being unhappy with who they are. They're unhappy because they don't have uh, 
the kind of body that so-and-so does. They don't have the kind of house that so-and-so does. They don't have the skills or the talents that so-and-so does. You know, I'm, I, 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 I lose out on all counts. I, I'm not very coordinated. I can't even write very pretty. You know, I mean, I can't even, you know, I've never been able to draw a straight line even. I was always the last kid to get picked when they were choosing sides for uh, uh, sports. I was always the last one because I'm just just all elbows and knees, you know, nothing seemed to work together. So uh, that was me. I have to search for words a lot of times. And so... Uh, I'm not very gifted in many ways, but the Lord uses me and I've learned to be comfortable in my skin and being who it is that he created me to be. This klutzy, stumbling, dumb guy, I know the Lord created me to be me because I spent many, many years trying to be somebody else and trying to be who other people wanted me to be. And I discovered that I was living a very lonely life. And then whenever I met the Lord, I discovered that it wasn't all those people that I thought I should and ought to be that he loved. It was me, warts and all. Ugly as I am, he loves me. And that is so cool. I don't have to prove anything to anybody because he loves me. Now, this is just it. He made me to be me and he has plans and purposes for me just as he does for you. He has plans and purposes for you. Uh, well, he, he made you and he loves you not your carbon copy of somebody else, you. And uh, it says, he set you apart. God told Jeremiah, he set him apart. Now that means that God had a specific purpose in mind for Jeremiah before he was ever born. In Jeremiah's case, he was set apart for the purpose of being a prophet. Jeremiah was born with a certain task he was created to perform. And let me tell you something. Each person in this sanctuary and each person that's listening to this by podcast later on was created for a specific reason. You were created to be you for him. Now, uh, you know, what this indicates to me is that no one is a mistake. No one is a mistake. No one is an accident. People make mistakes. And yes, people have accidents. But God has never created a person that wasn't supposed to be. No matter what people may have told you, you were never a mistake. You were never an accident. God created you to be you in the family that you're in, with the people that are around you at the time that you were born in, exactly right now. Everything about you, he knows and he knew and he loves and he has plans and purposes for you. 
You are not a mistake. No one accidentally comes into this world. God had you in mind before you were ever born. He also had a purpose in mind for you when you came into this world. And that's a message that people need to hear. You know, I just wish that people could understand that their value, their worth comes from who God says they are and who God uh, and the value that God gave them. Your value doesn't come from what you think of yourself. Your value comes from him. If, if, if people will just accept the fact that God loves them and that's good enough, the field of psychology would hardly be needed because so many people nowadays are suffering from what they call low self-esteem. And uh, the thing is, is that counselors wouldn't be needed if everybody just realized how precious they were and how valuable they were to God. Now, that's a people, a message that people need to hear. Uh, later on in Jeremiah, God says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And you know, when he's talking there, he's not talking directly to Isaiah, uh, to Jeremiah. He's talking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel who have turned their backs on God. And here he's calling to people that aren't even following him anymore. He's saying, you know, I've got plans and purposes for you to give you a future and a hope. And so if you've been feeling hopeless, turn toward God because he has a plan. He has a purpose. He has plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future. So many of us don't realize that God has a plan for our lives and they try to fill up their lives with their own plans. And what's happened, happening is they stay, they stay empty feeling. Some of them are filling up their lives with things they think are going to make them full, with work, material things, uh, with things that physically make them feel good. But as time goes on, uh, what they're going to discover is those things actually don't, feel, don't fulfill. They don't actually give us a well-balanced life. In fact, they leave us empty. And it's to people like that that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, the word abundant uh, means to be Overfill means to be filled to overflowing more than you need. Now, a person can't have an abundant life if they feel that there is no real purpose or meaning to their life. God told Jeremiah he had set him apart. And that phrase, set you apart, means to, to separate. Uh, in other words, God separated Jeremiah from the rest of creation uh, for a special task. And his calling on Jeremiah's life was to be a prophet. But you know, he's calling you. He called you.
to special tasks as well. Uh, and if you don't think so, look at Ephesians, the first chapter, the third through the sixth verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were chosen in him. He knew you. He had plans for you before he even created the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us in love, you see. He loves you. He predestined us to adoption as sons or as children through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone wishes to follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, you know, those are words that scare some people to death because they think that you're not going to get to heaven unless you get crucified. But that's not what it's talking about. That's not what it's talking about. What is the cross? To Jesus, his cross was the cross. He knew that that was God's plan and purpose for him. For God so loved the world that he gave, I nearly did it again. Remember when I caught that thing was falling? Anyway, he, uh, he, 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 he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> Jesus knew he was going to the cross, and it says that he went to the cross for the joy set before him. The reason why is because he knew God's plan and purpose for his life. And no matter <coughs> what our plan, what his plan or purpose is for you, it's going to be the best thing in the world for you to do and for you to go through in this world, in this life. The cross was Jesus' cross. Your cross is being the best you you can be for him. That's your cross. Your cross isn't some martyr-like thing. It's, as he goes on and says, deny yourself and take up your cross. Take up God's plan and purposes for your life. Do you see that? Quit living for yourself. Quit trying to tell God what he ought to do for you and realize that he has the best in store for you when you're willing to embrace the life that he created you to live. And how do you start that? You start it where you are with what you got. It doesn't start with some big thing. It starts momentarily, moment by moment. There's a, a, a well-known evangelist named Marcia Kendall, dear friend of ours for many, many years. And she just started listening to our podcast, by the way. And uh, so, Marcia, if you're listening, I'm going to share one of your stories. Uh, Marcia, uh, whenever she came to know the Lord, 
she was wondering what her big ministry was going to be. But then what the Lord directed her to do was to find some harried young housewife that uh, uh, was just about to pull all her hair out because she's going crazy and stuck at home, just taking care of a little one, put on a scarf on her head, I think she said, an apron and get some mop buckets and cleaning materials and mops and a broom and go knock on the front door of that young mom's house and say, hi, I'm God's gift to you for the day. And she would clean toilets. She would clean bathtubs. She would scrub floors. She would uh, clean kitchens. And she would clean up this poor mom's house that just had no strength left from sleep deprivation and be a blessing. And so he started her out just doing that. That was her first ministry. She wound up ultimately becoming the head of an international uh, evangelistic organization. She was mother of the year in Dallas, I think, one time. Uh, but she, the Lord had great ministry in store for her. But it starts, as she will tell you, doing what you can, where you are, with what you got. If uh, whatever you're doing, if you're just... Uh, someone, if you're a stay-at-home mom, be the best him for you in that spot. If you have a job, be the best you for him in that job. You start there because really deep down, you know what he wants you to do moment by moment. He knows how he wants you to act. And somehow you'll, if you start trying to do that, he'll start helping you to see that your reactions aren't really that nice. And so he'll have you start cleaning up your reactions to people by working on what brought about that reaction. So, but anyway, he uh, has a way of just starting with us right where we are. <coughs> so uh, anyway, he has plans and purposes for you. Now, when I first got started, I thought that I had blown it. I thought I had wasted 28 years of my life that I should have been living for him. And whenever I just was praying, oh, God, forgive me for wasting so much of my life and not being yours and not doing your stuff. That's when he told me, you heard me say this before, Joel, be quiet. That's not lost time. It's time when you were lost. And he has redeemed that time. Reminds me of the story I heard of a young lady who uh, found herself with child and uh, out of wedlock. And she went to her Sunday school teacher, whom she respected deeply, to share uh, her heart with the Sunday school teacher. And the Sunday school teacher expressed to her just how disappointed she was in this young lady and how from now on she was never going to be able to know God's best because she'd messed her life up like this. And uh, the fellow that was sharing this story said whenever he heard that, he was saying, no, no, that's not right because God still has the best in store for her. <clears throat> he said that some people think that uh, God's will 
in your life is like a boat. And if you don't get on the boat whenever uh, you have the opportunity to, and the boat leaves, that's tough. You just missed the boat. And I've known some, I remember one guy that so missed the boat, he thought that the only thing he could do was just grease the chute to hell. He didn't think there was any hope for him because he missed the boat by messing his life up. So, but you see, it's not a one shot thing. It's not a boat on the river that you miss. Instead, God's will is like the river. His plans are going to go on. His intentions are going to take place whether we're on board with him or not. But we can get in the river anytime, anytime we can get back in the flow, no matter how long you may have been out of God's will. It's never too late to get back into God's will. And from that point on, he will help you and he will give you the best. He will help you to realize the best possible life. And the most wonderful thing I've discovered is that past that was so bad, maybe he redeems and it just keeps you humble. And it helps you to be a person that can't cast stones at anyone. That instead, you can be there to help lift them out of the pits that you were in at one point in your past. And so some of you, maybe you feel like you've missed his will. And he's calling you to get back in the flow of his will today to take up your cross now, to start following him now, to embrace God's plan and purpose for your life now. When you walk out this door, you can start doing that. In fact, you can start doing it before you even walk out the door. You can just say while you're sitting in your seat today, God, I'm sorry. I've been trying to look after me and take care of me and do things the way I thought they ought to be done. And I didn't even know you had a plan or a purpose for me. From this moment on, I want to be yours and I want to do your will in my life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>